there, and welcome to the second episode of Decepticast. I'm your host, Scott, here to bring you your daily dose of Transformers goodness for this week. First, we're going to start off finishing the 2007 BotCon toys in robot review. Then it's time for a special segment this week entitled Our Friend, the Fast Action Battler. Following that segment is another trip to the Transformers comic library, looking at the IDW Focus on Decepticons book. So let's get on with the show. You got the touch. You got the power. Last week on the show, I went in-depth on the BotCon 2007 Games of Deception set. This week, it's time to review the toys that came from the two souvenir sets. Well, almost all of them. First up is Springer and Huffer. This was a great set that I really enjoy. Springer first. Repainted from Cybertron Defense Hotshot, it seemed a very odd choice. Springer was a helicopter, right? But of course, as all true fans know, he was a triple changer with a ground mode, too. It wasn't originally an armored transport, yet it looks very similar to his original car form. I also love the way they used almost the exact same pastel gray as the original toy. The vehicle mode looked strong and is very detailed, with hints of green to remind you who it is. More details are painted on this than the original toy, which is always a plus. Transformation is simple enough, and it's not until you see it in robot mode that you realize why this toy makes sense as Springer. The head, painted in just the right way, looks very similar to his cartoon self. Not perfect, but close. Cybertron Defense Hotshot's sword is another similarity that works. The huge amounts of missile braces are a little strange, as Springer never had those, but I guess no Autobot ever complained about too many missiles. The toy is posable, although it's a sort of stiff posability. His elbows can move, but the hinge is restricted to just moving up and down. However, that doesn't detract from the figure that much. The greatest thing about Springer is the paint de detailing in robot mode. Whereas Hotshot had a fairly bland chest plate, no part of Springer is left alone. The green is pastel, just like the original toy, and the gray carries over from the vehicle mode. He's nice and bulky, too. Yes, it's a great homage, and it really works as a figure. He's certainly one of my favorites from this year, right up there with Dirge and Huffer. Speaking of Huffer, he certainly is a great little figure. Cybertron Armorhide was a great toy, even though he was painted a little bland. Well, Huffer certainly makes up for that. Looking at the toy, it was an obvious choice for him. He's a small truck in vehicle mode, mostly orange and blue. I particularly love the Cybertron Wrecking Service printed on the side. He wasn't an original member of the Wreckers, but who's to say they weren't looking for new recruits lately? Transformation is simple, befitting a basic. The greatest thing about this toy is it has no kibble, nothing to limit posability. Yet he's no pipe cleaner like Mirage. This is a bulky little guy, and I enjoy him a lot more despite being smaller. This brace of missiles looks a little odd for him too, but he isn't packing nearly as many as Springer. Huffer also has the ability to carry his cyber key on his weapon, whereas Springer can't hold on to his. Yes, the two great toys packaged together, this was definitely the better of the two BotCon 2007 souvenir sets, 
just as good as any figures in the main set. Now, let's move on to the next set. Weird Wolf was a cool exclusive completely out of left field. This is a true obscure character. Even Dreadwind got some play in the original Marvel comic book. His alternate mode is that of a techno-organic wolf. He's a repaint of Snarl from the Cybertron line. His main color scheme is a crazy yellow, green, and white, yet it all works. They took a newer toy and really paid an excellent tribute to the original character. The beast mode is fairly poseable for an alternate mode of that type, and has a lot of details worked into the mixture of mechanical and organic that make up the wolf. The cyber key gimmick that Snarl had was never the coolest of the Cybertron line. It's his teeth just popping out, but he scores major points for being one of the few figures that can actually store the key. Transformation for Weird Wolf is nice, different from just standing up the beast mode, and he hides the wolf legs into the body so they don't get in the way of posability. The robot mode is very nice, and it reveals a more even paint scheme than the beast mode. It has more green and a lot more white. This mode looks a lot better with these colors, in my opinion. Weird Wolf's not a headmaster anymore, but he still has the red face he had in G1, a nice, accurate detail. Not to mention, his beast mode tail can be either a sword or a gun, and you have a really cool toy. I love this exclusive. I enjoyed Snarl and Cybertron, and here he gets an unusual, yet very thought-out paint scheme that's a lot cooler than the original. Add that, it's a homage to one of the forgotten G1 Transformers, and it makes an awesome exclusive, too. Next, you're probably expecting a review of Alpha Trion, who came with Weird Wolf. Sadly, that is not the case. I didn't purchase the second set and got my Weird Wolf off of good old eBay. Why? Well, because to be frank, I don't like Alpha Trion. The Vector Prime mold was alright, but it was never my favorite from Cybertron. Add to that, I don't like Alpha Trion on the G1 TV show. He just seems to me like this old, doddering fuddy-duddy. I know he was a font of wisdom and he gave himself up for the aerial bots or something, but I never liked him. Not to mention there was a whole lot of purple going on with that toy. And not a deep Galvatron purple, but like a light Fruit Loop purple that only looked lighter because of all the white he also had on him. The new head sculpt was alright, but not enough to get me to buy him. So, this ends the review of the 2007 BotCon exclusives. I hope you enjoyed my review, and I absolutely can't wait till I get my hand on this year's exclusives. Look for those in a couple of weeks. Now it's time for this week's special segment. During the buzz of the Transformers live-action movie and all the merchandise that went with it, there was one offshoot that I became very interested in. That offshoot was the fast action battlers you see besides all the regular Transformers figures. Easier to transform, yet not as poseable or detailed, the Fast Action Battlers offered another version of certain movie bots, some of them at a cheaper price point than their regular figure. These were obviously meant for the younger set, not collectors, but I enjoyed the alternative. There were a lot of good figures in this subline, and it really stood on its own with the repaints. With the movie line finished, it seems like the Fast Action Battlers have gone the same route. They're nowhere to be seen in the animated line, replaced instead by the Activators. The Transformers movie Fast Action Battler collection is done, and I'm dedicating this segment to our friend, the Fast Action Battler. Now, how does one review a Fast Action Battler? They are naturally not as detailed, nor as poseable as their regular counterparts, and the transformations aren't as intricate. Well, I'm going to do my best and talk about each figure individually. I'm going to discuss first the molds of the Fast Action Battler line, and then all the repaints. 
We'll go wave by wave and start with Ironhide, Jazz, Prime, and Starscream. Ironhide has a good interpretation of his vehicle mode, even if it seems a bit squished. His transformation is a messy one for me, as the top of the car on my figure keeps popping off. Going back to vehicle mode is also a little tougher than a fast action battler should be, as the door pieces are hard to lock down. His robot mode is a little stiff, but that's alright. The real area that he loses points in is that he just looks too chubby. His shoulders are huge and limit any movement of the arms. He can barely work his spring-loaded waist feature, which for some reason all fast action battlers have. It just looks all very awkward. Jazz fares much better. His vehicle mode is very nice, although not as snazzy as the deluxe. Transformation has a little trouble with the arms, hooking them into the legs and unhooking them, but it's nothing too bad. Robot mode has limited movement in the arms, but has much better than Ironhide. You can actually aim his missile. His legs actually have good posability with ball joints on his hips and hinges for his knees. I like Jazz's robot mode a lot. It's a much better representation of the character than Ironhide. Optimus Prime shows the reason why there was never a deluxe mold for his Earth mode, with a very, very, very squished-looking truck. It seems to be lacking some paint apps, and on top of that, the weapon of a hook just seems too odd. It's storable in vehicle mode, but then it just sticks out the back, not to mention the string that just hangs off. Why does Prime's missile need a string? None of the others have it. His transformation is folding himself up. He's literally doubled over when in vehicle mode. Ironically, he's the most poseable fast action battler, but I still find him one of the more bland figures. Starscream, however, is awesome. Sure, his vehicle mode has his hands and feet sticking out, but I love the simple two-beat transformation. It reminds me of the early Beast Wars basics, and I'm excited to see that return for the animated activators, even if those do look a little funky. Starscream has posability in his legs, but what's really cool is he adds to the spring-loaded waist with a spring-loaded arm and a spring-loaded sword. That's three times the springs. Yes, he looks more simple than his actual figure, but I still think Screamer combines the best things about a fast-action battler. A good representation with a simpler transformation and nice action features. Next came Ratchet and Brawl. Ratchet is actually my other favorite fast action battler mold, in addition to Starscream. The vehicle mode lacks some of the paint apps and details of the Voyager, but is proportional and does not seem squished. Transformation is a little harder than some of the other figures, but mostly because the upper body has to be positioned just right so that the automorph works to get him to robot mode, and the arms have to be just the right place to get him back to Hummer mode. Call me crazy, but I actually think that Fast Action Battler Ratchet looks more movie accurate than the regular figure. Figure, It's skinnier than the bulkier Voyager. The waist action works well, so he can actually attack with his axe, and the missile shoots better than any other Fast Action Battler. He can store it, too. Posability is about standard Fast Action Battler, but between a good transformation, excellent missile launching, and more accuracy from screen to toy, make him my favorite. As for Brawl, his tank mode is good, although a little too light in color. He suffers from bad missile design, as they're the kind you have to pull back to let go, as opposed to some sort of trigger. They don't fly at all. Transformation suffers from difficulty in unfolding his legs, but the automorph works well. Robot mode looks nice and imposing, but kibble on the arm arms get in the way of his waist action. It's hard to fire, fire the missiles in this mode, too. He's an okay figure 
better than Prime, but not the best. Next was an odd wave consisting of three Decepticons. Megatron goes the exact same route as Prime, being one of the most poseable fast action battlers, but suffering from a squished jet mode and very bland colors. It's even blander than the first leader release, except for his very weird bright red fingers. It just looks strange, and his missiles are almost as bad as Brawl's. They barely go anywhere, but instead of falling out of the launcher, you have to hurt your fingers to push them out. Things fare much better with Blackout and Frenzy. Blackout, like Ironhide, has a nice vehicle mode, even if it does look a little cramped. But in both modes, he has a freely spinning helicopter blade, which is a great difference to the other fast action battlers. Unfortunately, Robot Mode doesn't really look like Blackout in the movie, and he has lots of kibble. It's hard to balance on his unusually skinny legs, too. Although, I personally like the fact that he has a missile feature like the others, but he can also hold his helicopter blade, and they still spin freely. It's a nice complement to the spring waste fe feature. He's an interesting figure, not as good as Screamer, but better than Meg's. Frenzy is an enigma to me, as he doesn't really seem like he was meant to be a fast-action battler, but due to the mass needed, he was released as part of that line. Why do I say that? Well, his radio mode is filled with more details than a normal fast-action battler, such as the Myrid buttons and Frenzy printed on his little screen. It's a really good generic radio mode, as they couldn't use the actual one from the movie. Transformation is also much, much more intricate than any of the other figures. Robot mode... Well, it's impossible to get him to work like in the movie, so what we end up with is a frenzy head on a bulky body with lots of kibble. Still, it's a great effort to give us a transformable frenzy, and it's far from a terrible figure. His disc launching feature works amazing. It really flies. Bumblebee and Barricade ended the parade. Both had good vehicle modes, slightly larger than the normal figures, yet, of course, lacking some paint apps. Bumblebee's transformation is simple, but his missile launching arm is hard to put into vehicle mode. Barricades is much better, basically a different version of the Deluxe's transformation. Bumblebee's robot mode is alright, nothing too exciting. Arms have limited posability, and the missile fires weakly. Barricade once again fares much better. He makes sense of the spring-loaded waste with a cool, if somewhat cumbersome, spinning saw. He joins Starscream as one of the only fast-action battlers without a missile, and he's better for it. His legs are kind of skinny, but I feel that, despite his limited movement, Barricade is a fun fast-action battler who offers a great alternative to the deluxe toy. And that's what makes a great fast-action battler, fun factor, and an alternative to the main line. So the molds of the fast-action battler line range from Great, Ratchet and Starscream, Good, Jazz and Barricade, and Pretty Boring, Prime and Megs. But in my opinion, where the fast-action battlers really took off on their own are the repaints. There are new characters that never got a chance in the main line, and also great alternatives to larger toys. But there are a few lemons among the group. Let's start with those and work our way up. Fire Blast Optimus Prime. Ugh. Ugh. It's a bright neon red, and in robot mode, we get a shiny powder blue. They're really ugly colors, and they make Prime look very unthreatening. Repaints are usually better than the original colors, but this is just not very good at all. It's probably the worst repaint in the movie line. He looks like he's ready for Easter. Rally Rocket Bumblebee is pretty bad, too. He's a brighter yellow, and other than that, he's not much different than the first release. His hood is black now, and he's got a logo on the side of the car, but on the whole, 
It just seems like a half-hearted repaint. Still, it's not as bad as Neon Prime. Paul Splast, Ironhide isn't horrible, but he's no better than off-road Ironhide. It just depends on whether you like silver or blue better. Both are alright, but I think basic black still works best for Ironhide. Really, this fast action battler is okay and just a matter of personal taste. Desert Blast Brawl, on the other hand, is a really cool color scheme and much better than the leader version. Why? Because it's more realistic and it lacks that ugly light blue that represents all spark power. The color scheme itself is cool, but, you know, it's an either-or situation. Still, it's refreshing not to have that eye-scarring all-spark power. Which brings us to the last four, four great figures with great paint schemes. First, Rescue Tort Ratchet is a much, much better repaint than the Voyager Rescue Ratchet. Take my favorite fast action battler, give it not only a cool paint scheme, but one that outdoes the regular line, we have a winner. Why is it better? Well, simply put, it has more details in the color scheme, and it's not as bland as Rescue Ratchet. That repaint was very boring, almost all white, with a few red details. Here, he has a touch of black to balance things out, noticeably on the head and chest. Also, the robot mode is much more balanced between the red and white, as opposed to just all flat white. There's also a lot more silver on him, which the Voyager only had in small quantities, and even then it was more of a flat gray. The fast action battler is just more visually interesting, much more striking. I was really surprised by this guy. It just seems like Hasbro put more thought into this one as opposed to the Voyager. Even the headlights are painted, which Rescue Ratchet doesn't have. This figure is definitely worth checking out if you like the homage to G1 Ratchet and don't want to spend the extra 10 bucks on it. Night Attack Megatron is next, and it's amazing what a good paint scheme can do for a mediocre figure. I've always said that black repaints are awesome, that almost any figure can be cool if they are painted black, and Fast Action Battler Megatron is no exception. Cursed with an incredibly boring paint scheme for the first release, he now looks dangerous and deadly. But it's not like Hasbro just slapped black on him, no. He has the base color of black, with silver applications all over his body, bringing out the molded details. But that's not all, he even has blue spray blue paint spray apps right by the feet, just for that little extra detail. But the coolest thing, in my opinion, is the face. The eyes are red, and the mouth is painted black. What I really like is it looks like he's dripping oil from his maw, as if he's foaming at the mouth, or while locked in combat, old Megs decided to take a big bite out of someone's neck. He's like a vampire Megatron with this paint scheme. It's really dynamic looking and much better than the first release. His fingers even match the rest of the colors, unlike Megatron's bright red digits. It's ten times better than the first Fast Action Battler, and I wouldn't mind if Hasbro released either the Voyager or Leader Megatron in this paint scheme. The figure has a lot of character and is a very unique release, which is why it's one of the best Fast Action Battler repaints, possibly one of the best Fast Action Battlers, period. Speaking of character, the last two Fast Action Battlers remaining are new characters exclusive to this movie subline, Smokescreen and Ramjet. Well, relatively new. Both are homages to G1 characters, of course, introduced into the movie universe. Smokescreen is a repaint of Fast Action Battler Jazz, and a very nice one at that. Vehicle mode is an almost perfect update, even including the number 38, which Smokescreen is known for. In robot mode, he looks a little odd as the original Smokescreen looked like Prowl and not Jazz, but of course, as we all know, those three toys are based around the same mold. Main colors are red and blue, with white and a little bit of yellow coming out when he transforms. The colors seem a little mismatched at first, 
the G1 colors having a little bit of a hard time coming to terms with the movie design. The yellow visor especially stands out because the original smokescreen didn't have that at all, and it's a very bright color. He's not the coolest fast action battler paint scheme, or the flashiest, but it's a great nod to G1 and a brand new character in the movie universe. I very much appreciated Hasbro putting the effort into making the fast action battler line stand on its own a little bit. The last one is by far my favorite fast action battler, Ramjet. As I mentioned earlier, Starscream was one of the best fast action battlers, fun, with a lot of features, but also with a cool simplified transformation and some degree of posability. Well, here he is again, not only as a new character in the movie continuity, but as a nod to G1 and an amazing paint scheme to boot. He's white, marooned, and black, and he has a more detailed color scheme than even Classic's Ramjet. It's not a bright white either, it's a darker white which fits better for the character. He's not a flat color, which was the biggest problem with the Fast Action Battler Starscream. His lower legs are black, while his thighs are red. His chest is white and red with a black nose cone, and his arms are black. His face is specifically painted black with red eyes, and the black tail fins create a cool effect behind his head. It's much more visually interesting than the first release, much more so than most Fast Action Battlers, and even more than some regular movie figures like Swindle. In fact, I would go as far to say that I might put Ramjet up against any regular deluxe from the movie line. So, in conclusion, I think the Fast Action Battler line has been a good success. I enjoy the alternative, and some of the figures can really stand on their own. Unfortunately, I guess either the sales or the technology worked against the subline, as it hasn't reared up in the animated line. Maybe for Transformers 2. Still, I like having the whole line, and I think any Transformer fan should at least check out a few figures. Final assessment is Claw Attack, Ramjet, and Rescue Torch Ratchet as the best figures, with Night Attack Megatron being a runner-up, and the worst figures are going to Fire Blast Prime and the first Megatron. I'm going to miss this line, but I guess it will be better for my wallet. Fellow Transformers fans, don't let the simplistic nature of the fast action battlers scare you away from them, otherwise you'll miss out on some cool toys. Now for our daily trip into the library. The focus of this week is IDW's focus on Decepticons. When this was first announced, I had no idea what it was. A spotlight? A standalone book? When it was finally released, I was excited to find out what it was. I was a little disappointed to find out that it was merely a preview book for All Hail Megatron, but it's still a nice preview nonetheless. It was a dollar cheaper, which was great. It starts off with a press release, which didn't really tell us anything we didn't know, but then we're treated to some great concept art. Megatron's looking tough, but the biggest surprise is Cup. Is he making a comeback in the new series? That would be a great surprise, and it would be awesome to see how he recovered from his spotlight. The Constructicons are looking amazing, very nicely IDWized. Following that are interviews with Shane McCarthy and Guido Guidi. I enjoyed Guidi's a little more but I really applaud McCarthy for giving the Decepticons the attention they deserve, getting into their minds and exploring their characters. I do hope, though, he doesn't soften them as much as there was a lot of talk about no one considering themselves a villain. This may be true, but one of the things I love about the Decepticons is they are classic villains, 
true evil to balance out the Autobot's heroism. I'm all for seeing how they tick. I just hope they remember that the cons are the bad guys. The most interesting thing I found in these interviews was the Black Arachnia art from the 3H days of BotCon. Does IDW own that stuff? Who knows, but that would be really cool if we saw more of that. Next is a roll call for a few Decepticons, nothing really big here. Mostly Dreamwave art that we've seen before, and of course all Transformer fans know these specific characters like the back of their hands. Then it's the meat and potatoes, the preview of the actual series. I really like the portrayal of the Constructicons here, but something I didn't like was turning the Seekers into their masterpiece forms. I greatly prefer Sue's interpretation. Something else I really liked was setting the action in New York, as it was a very accurate interpretation of Times Square, right down to the Toys R Us and Virgin Megastore. However, being a New Yorker myself, I have to wonder if it was a little insensitive of IDW to have Megatron blowing up a huge tower in Times Square. Still, despite my feelings about that, the art was excellent and the action was cool, although I must admit, honestly, it didn't seem so world-shattering as all the hype is making it seem. Of course, it was only the beginning of the first book, so I'm sure there are a lot of great scenes and stories to come. I'm only judging this book on its own from what I've read as opposed to the whole series, that's all. The preview is a good peek into this dark tone of the series, and I'm eager for more. It just fell short of showing off the project IDW has been hyping. But like I said before, the real series could prove to be something excellent, and that will be the true test of all hell. But for focus on Decepticons, I applaud IDW's efforts to prep, but this book isn't necessary for the big Transformers fan. That's going to do it for this week's Decepticast. Sorry for making the show a little late, but unfortunately, personal circumstances in my life necessitated doing the show later. But thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you have anything you would like to see on the show, suggestions, ideas, or something you want reviewed, feel free to drop me a line at Decepticast at gmail.com. I would love to make this an interactive show and make a feedback segment, so keep those emails coming. For more Transformers information, stop by the blog at Decepticast.blogspot.com or one of the greatest Transformers sites on the web, www.cybertron.com. That is Cybertron with it. S-E-I. There won't be any show next week because I'll be off painting the town at Ohio for this year's BotCon. I'm super excited and can't wait to get there, and I'll be coming back with a full report for my listeners, so stay tuned. Until then, I'll see ya.